Hello, EB Online Church family. Whether you are watching us from home or from somewhere on our campus as part of our stage two comeback, wherever you may be, thank you for making us part of your day. Now, last week we began and ended our study by saying that we are better off when we are together. We want to belong. We want to know that we're in. And I mentioned how that Dr. Vivek H. Murthy, the 19th Surgeon General of the United States, recently published a book called Together, The Healing Power of Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. In it, he states that building a more connected world holds the key to solving addiction, violence, disengagement, polarization, and many more of the personal and societal problems confronting us today. So simply put, we are better when we are together. But as the events this week in Minneapolis and other cities have reminded us, togetherness often has a utopian address. You know, every society is made up of people who connect, who belong to one another. Yet every society also includes people who, who feel left out, who feel marginalized and rejected. There is a tendency deep inside the fallen human spirit that is chronicled throughout the history of civilization, and that tendency is to exclude. In the act of exclusion, we divide the world up into us and them. Now, these terms do not simply point out that we are different. They also mean that we take a posture of rejection and withdrawal toward others. We refuse to offer them any heart or goodwill. We deliberately indulge in feelings of superiority at their expense. Robert Frost once wrote a poem called The Mending Wall. Now, in this poem, a farmer comes out in the spring with his neighbor to walk their property line. Every spring they find the same thing. The stone wall that they had stood erect last year had crumbled a bit. Rocks keep breaking it down. The fence keeps going down. Now maybe it's the wind. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's just the mystery. But every year they build up the wall that separates them. And then over the next year it keeps falling into disrepair. Frost writes, something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. The other farmer likes having the wall. He says, well, good fences make good neighbors. Frost allows himself to wonder if it's really true that, that good fences actually make good neighbors. He wonders maybe, maybe life isn't about walls and fences and about keeping people out. So he writes, before I build a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Since Cain and Abel, the human race has been building walls. It happens in the backseat of crowded cars, between quarreling siblings. Uh, walls go up between husbands and wives, between co-workers, between denominations and cultures and races and countries, and even between citizens and the police sworn to their protection. There once was a wall that stood between a desperate Gentile woman and 12 self-important disciples. It had been around as long as anyone could remember, and everybody figured it would just last forever. But something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. One day Jesus left the borders of Galilee and he traveled some 50 miles to the Gentile towns of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, there, there was a commercially magnificent area that had been heavily influenced by Greek culture. Each town was a proud historic center of Canaanite paganism with tombs of ancient kings and temples of various deities. Now, this was not an area that any self-respecting Jewish rabbi would intentionally travel to. But Jesus had just been involved in a confrontation with Jewish leaders over what makes a person spiritually clean. 
And he needed a place to relax. And he also needed a place to make a point. So he leaves a region that is heavily influenced by Jewish orthodoxy, a region that Jewish leaders would consider clean, and he travels to modern-day Lebanon, a place even his closest of disciples would describe as spiritually unclean. And there, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus' acclaim and popularity had risen to such a fever pitch that even those outside of Galilee were familiar with him. Word began to spread that the Jewish holy man had come with his followers and a mother in the area decided to do something crazy. Now I want you to pay special attention to the language that this mother uses during her exchange. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's covenant language. This woman is asking for a blessing, and she does so by evoking the language of God's covenant people, but she's not part of the covenant. She's not a Jew. She's a Canaanite. In her religious economy, Jehovah God is just one of many potential deities. But if there's a chance that this deity can heal her little girl, well then why not? Why not cross religious barriers? Why not cross ethnic barriers? Why not cross gender barriers? anything for her daughter. And Jesus' response to this risk-taking mother? Well, it was silence. Our text in Matthew chapter 15 says that Jesus did not even reply, didn't give her a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. I wonder, have you ever been disappointed by the response of spiritual leaders to your specific situation? The people that you thought would empathize Perhaps they only pushed you aside. Now, when you read this text, the Greek word krazo is used there to talk about crying out with deep emotion. The woman is wailing. She's wanting these individuals to do something. And Jesus says to her, woman, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. He's saying, you know, you know who I am. I mean, I'm a Jewish rabbi. I mean, my God helps Jews. And I'm sure his disciples were off to the side nodding in agreement. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Now the word knelt there is proskuneo, and it means that she kissed the ground. She worshipped at his feet. She's begging for help, for immediate aid, right there and right now. And his reply, he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. For sure, that was a sentiment held by the good Jewish leaders who had earlier challenged Jesus over what was clean and unclean. They had become all upset because Jesus' disciples did not follow their religious traditions. Specifically, now get this, they did not wash their hands before they ate. Now this was not out of a concern for COVID-19, it was out of concern for Gentiles. Now Mark gives us some insight here. In chapter 7 of his gospel, he explains that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and, and kettles. The religious leaders in Jesus' day believed that their refusal to associate with people who did not live up to their religious standards was the highest proof of their devotion to God. The, the righteous had to separate themselves from the outcast. There had to be a difference. And the more spiritual that you tried to be, the bigger the category of outcast got. 
People were excluded based on their ethnicity, their gender, physical problems, or practicing what some called despised trades. The outcasts were considered defiled, and to associate with them would defile the righteous. The righteous believed that the essence of spiritual maturity lay in excluding people. So the Jews avoid Gentiles because they believe them to be unclean, unholy, uncouth, and unworthy of God's grace. Thus the disciples urging Jesus to, to send the mother away. But in an earlier discussion, Jesus pointed out that it was not the, the external that made a person unclean, but it was the internal. Cleanness or uncleanness was a heart issue, not a hand issue. Jesus, who was all clean, embraced those who his culture and society considered outcast. He spoke with them, touched them, ate with them, loved them. And by embracing them, he underscored the sinfulness of the persons and systems that cast them out. Now, please understand, the color of a person's skin does not make them an outcast. A person is not an outcast because they are born black, brown, red, or white. The country of one's origin does not make a person an outcast. Neither does the language a person speaks or the religion that they profess. A person is not an outcast because of their gender. It is the standards embraced and allowed by a society that determines who's in and who's out. And it is those very standards that Jesus takes aim at in this story. Jesus is using all of these events to show his followers that you can be unclean and never go to the dirty areas of town. You can be in church and your heart still be far from God. And you can be considered an outcast, an other, and still demonstrate great faith. The mother said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's saying, I, I know I'm not one of your God's followers, but I'm willing to take what your God's followers discard. Friends, God's grace is not limited by nationalities, traditions, languages, or religions. The only thing that limits God's grace is, well, it's our refusal to receive it. So Jesus says, woman. Now in the Greek text, a single letter comes first, and it's the, it's the letter O. Jesus' heart is full. Maybe his eyes are as well. And he turns to this mother and expresses his admiration. And he says, oh, woman, you have great faith. Jesus' word great comes from a word that we use today when talking about mega malls or mega churches. Jesus says that this Gentile woman has mega faith. And the disciples hear this. Their Jewish culture, their upbringing, their theology, all of this tells them that this woman is to be shunned, rejected, ignored, and turned away. She is a foreigner. She is a pagan. She's the enemy. And all that they are witnessing is just hammering away at their sense of identity, at their prejudices, at their beliefs about their own superiority and who God really loves. And Jesus is planting a seed deep within them that will not be fully harvested until Peter sees the Holy Spirit fall on a Gentile man named Cornelius. And he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Friends, has, has our own upbringing, our own culture, our own theology formed within us an unquestioned spirit of exclusion where we naturally accept that some people are just inferior, 
because of their color, their gender, their country of origin, and because they are different. Perhaps we have been told at different times and by different voices that it's okay to exclude them, okay to overlook them, okay to marginalize them, okay to profile them, okay to abuse them, and maybe even told okay to kill them. When we exclude, we don't just hurt those that we keep on the outside. We damage our own souls far more. The spirit of exclusion places us far from the Father, from the Spirit, and from the Son. And ultimately, the only ones the excluders can keep away from God's community are themselves. So let me be as clear as I can. There is no room for bigotry, sexism, or racism among the people of God. A person's value is found not in their color or in their gender or in their nationality. A person's value is found in their humanity, being remarkably and wonderfully made by God. Societies will continue to erect walls of exclusion. And as participants in God's kingdom, we are to be the something that doesn't love a wall and that wants it down. So anytime we learn that a person or a group is being excluded, whether at school, at work, at church, anywhere in our community, we must say and do something. And anytime we learn that, that someone lost their life because of the color of their skin or because of the way they talked or because of where they went or who they went with, we must condemn in the strongest possible language. But more than Twitter rants and Facebook posts, we must actively become embracers. We must embrace the person who lives in a different part of town, the person who came from a different part of the world. We must embrace the person who lives differently, votes differently, and believes differently than we do. And the result of that embrace? Healing. Matthew records that the woman's daughter was healed instantly. You see, when we tear down the walls and come together with people who are different from us, healing is not just limited to our own relationships, but is extended to the next generation as well. Our sons and daughters will be healed or injured by our relationship choices. So let's commit to leaving them a legacy of broken walls. Will you join me in prayer for our church, for our community, for our state, for our country, for our world. Lord, help us to be a people that tears down walls. Help us to be a people who do not exclude and who do not push to the outside those who are different from us. Help us to be a people who embody who embody the nature and the, the attitude that we see present in, in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people who allows your Spirit to produce the fruit of love and, and joy and, and gentleness within us. Father, we, we live in a society as all those who have come before us we live in a society that loves to build up walls and that loves to decide who's in and, and who's out. And oftentimes we can get caught up in that. We hear different things that are said by grandparents or parents. We, 
we hear different things that are said, whether it be in, in television shows or online. We, we see things that are being said and done by our friends. And, and oftentimes we get all caught up and we don't think about the things that we are believing. We don't think about the things that we are, are doing, the things that we are saying. Father, may we look deep within us. Father, may we allow you to reach deep within us. And will you, will you show us the sinfulness that resides there? Father, show us the times where we ourselves have excluded, where we ourselves have built walls, where we have our, our hidden bigotries. Father, we want to be your people. We want to allow others to see us as being your followers, your sons and daughters. Father, help us, help us to be able to embrace. Help us to be able to draw in. Help us to be able to accept individuals who are different than we are. For Father, we know that you have accepted us. You have accepted us in the midst of our sin. You have accepted us in the midst of all of our differences. And you have poured out your love upon us. May we share that same love with others. Father, we, we pray for cities like Minneapolis. We, we, we pray for Chattanooga. Father, we, we, we pray for this country that seems to be tearing itself apart based upon the way people the way people look or the way people act or the way people vote or the things that people believe. Father, we pray for your peace to be present and for that peace to be seen in our own lives. Father, we, we pray for this, for this world and for the different confusion that is present right now. So many people suffering because of the virus, COVID-19, so many people unsure as to what's going to, to happen next. Father, we pray that, that in all things that your love and that your truth will win out and that the world will recognize that you are in control and that you do all things well. Father, for our, for our communities here, for our neighborhoods, for our, for our church family, Father, we continue to ask for your peace. We continue to ask for your unity as together we strive to share your blessings, to share your mercy, to share your love to all those that we come in contact with. Father, help us to be embracers, not excluders, and show us where walls need to be torn down and give us the courage to do just that. We thank you for loving us in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Friends, have a great week.